You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Pokemon-themed Linux rootkits are observed, but they're not related to Pokemon Go. Trojans continue to herd IoT botnets. Social media monitoring leads to convictions of jihadist plotters in Australia and the UK. Pegasus spyware and NSO groups price list. Election hacking on four continents. Are the shadow brokers engaged in intelligence or influence operations? In any case, no one's really bidding on the equation group code the brokers say they're auctioning. The FBI releases information on its investigation into former Secretary of State Clinton's email, and for a while it looked like cyber high noon at the G20 talks. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, September 6, 2016. Over the long weekend, Trend Micro researchers report finding a Pokemon-themed Linux rootkit called Umbreon after a dark Pokemon that hides in the night. The rootkit has a second Pokemon-themed component named after a big-eared Espeon that backdoors infected systems. Umbreon hides its outbound traffic from the commonly used TCP dump utility. Malware Must Die describes another strain of Linux malware, this one a Trojan called Mirai. An evolution of Bashlight, the IoT botnet herder recently described by Level 3, Mirai targets IoT devices running BusyBox. Reports of social media-enabled jihadist recruiting and inspiration continue. Malaysian security authorities are monitoring the activity of an operator they characterize as an Indonesian operating from Syria. He's active on social media, encouraging sympathizers in Malaysia to undertake terrorist attacks in that country. In Australia, a teenager has been sentenced to 10 years for plotting the murder and beheading of police officers during Anzac Day commemorations. 19-year-old Sevdet Ramadan Bezim, a resident of suburban Melbourne, was convicted of the thwarted plot. He was in regular online contact with a 14-year-old in Manchester, England, who last October was sentenced to five years for inciting terrorism abroad. The discovery of Pegasus spyware on an Emirati activist iPhone and Apple's subsequent patching of the Trident Zero Days in both iOS and more recently OS X continues to excite comment. According to the New York Times, NSO Group's price list for lawful intercept services runs to an initial setup fee of $500,000, with installation fees varying by number and kind of devices to be monitored. $650,000 will put the tools into 10 iPhones or Android devices. 
$500,000 will get them onto five Blackberries, and $300,000 will provide access to five Symbian phones. Ten additional targets, the Times reports, can be added for an additional $150,000, $20 for $250,000, dollars $50 for $500,000, and an even hundred additional devices will set the customer back $800,000. The pricing suggests that the spyware would be used as expected for targeted interception of communications as opposed to bulk collection and surveillance. Industry sources draw this lesson from the incident. Watch the traffic emerging from your devices. Plixer's founder and CEO Michael Patterson shared his assessment with the CyberWire. Quote, There can be a significant gap between vulnerabilities going live in the wild and their discovery and subsequent remediation, as there seems to have been in this case. During this vulnerability time and on an ongoing basis, organizations can protect themselves by watching for anomalies like strange outbound connections. Education becomes more important than ever, helping people recognize strange messages and avoid opening links if they seem out of the norm. End quote. Other governments are found to be engaged in close monitoring of their citizens' networks. Cuba, for one, according to Reuters, is filtering mobile text messages for the appearance of certain keywords, democracy and human rights prominent among them, and then blocking the traffic. The Internet in that country continues to be tightly controlled, with home access, licensed by the government, closely restricted to about 5% of the population. Late Friday afternoon, the FBI released emails and other details from its investigation of former Secretary of State Clinton's handling of classified information. It appears that parties unknown engaged in spearfishing against users of the former Secretary's homebrew server. The report also indicates that in 2013, an unknown user wandered through an account belonging to a staffer working for then-Secretary Clinton's husband, former President Bill Clinton. The investigation also determined that some eight mobile devices used by the former secretary to access ClintonEmail.com during her tenure in office could not be located or inspected. Politically motivated hacking, apparently interested in gathering either electoral intelligence, influencing voter sentiment, or directly manipulating results, continued over the weekend. FireEye tracked APT3, a Chinese cyber espionage group, in the networks of at least two unnamed Hong Kong agencies in the week prior to this past Sunday's elections in that city. There are also allegations of election hacking in Mexico. Those come from the now-imprisoned Colombian hacker Andres Sepulveda, who says he engaged in hacking, spying, and social media manipulation on behalf of Enrique Peña Nieto's 2012 presidential campaign. Telesor reports that Mexican authorities declined to investigate what they characterize as a frivolous complaint. Elsewhere, ThreatConnect found that the same IP address implicated in intrusions into U.S. state voter databases was also used in incursions into German, Turkish, and Ukrainian political networks. Suspicion in all these cases continues to be directed toward Russian intelligence services. The biggest of these hacks, of course, remain the incursions into U.S. political party and campaign networks, as well as the compromise of equation group code claimed by the shadow brokers. The shadow brokers, who've offered what they call equation group attack code in an online auction, are believed by most observers to be sock puppets for either the FSB or the GRU. There are some observers who think this unlikely. Why, they ask, would an intelligence service so readily reveal its successful collection of an adversary's code? Wouldn't they be more likely to exploit it quietly and keep their sources and methods to themselves? Thus, NSA watcher James Bamford and some others conclude that the shadow brokers are hacktivists abetted by insiders. 
Such an evaluation would be consistent with an ordinary case of collection, but not if the breach is an influence operation. Sometimes attacks are deliberately noisy, particularly if they aim at deterrence or shaping public opinion as opposed to intelligence. In any case, the shadow brokers don't seem particularly successful or even active as straight-up criminals. Our partners at Terbium Labs tells us there's not much action in the dark web or elsewhere in the shadow brokers' auction for Equation Group. As far as we can see, the bidding is apparently stalled at just 1.8 Bitcoin, a little more than $1,000, far short of the half billion dollars the hackers asked for. Some bidders are including rickrolling with their lowball bids. Presidents Obama and Putin exchanged starchy words over cyberwar at the G20 summit. Mr. Obama advised Mr. Putin against turning cyberspace into the wild, wild west and suggested that if the two countries had to slap virtual leather, Mr. Putin would find himself outgunned. Mr. Putin said, via Sputnik News, that he's got better things to do than fool around with American electoral theater. He went on to deny any involvement in U.S. political hacking, but the Russian president did mention late last week, sounding a little like the man who shot Liberty Valance, that whoever hacked the Democratic National Committee had performed a public service. In any case, agents James T. West and Artemis Gordon, we hope your private Pullman car has good connectivity. President Grant, we mean President Obama, might want to be in touch. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me is Malek Ben-Salem. She's the R&D manager at Accenture Technology Labs. Uh, Malek, I know there at Accenture you recently published a framework uh, regarding the security for the industrial Internet of Things. What can you tell us about that? 
Yeah, the industrial Internet of Things, as you know, introduces various operational technology architectures, uh, whether it's healthcare, manufacturing, transportation, or energy production. All of these industries have different architectures. So uh, at Accenture Labs, as we deal with clients from various industries, uh, we developed a framework for security for these industrial Internet of Things domains. And what we focused on is what are the the common themes uh, around these architectures and what are the differences between uh, between these domains. Uh, one thing we looked at is, is the edge tier, which we think has to be self-organizing and self-reliant. Uh, today, we see some solutions, security solutions at the edge uh, that provides some uh, capabilities, some security functionalities, but there is still a gap in protecting all the devices at the edge. For example, you know, many of these solutions are not vendor agnostic. So when you deploy them, you have to make a lot of customization for that particular uh, industry domain. Uh, what we're looking at in our framework is find mechanisms to detect and prevent uh, physical or remote tampering with edge devices, regardless of what the device is. That's one one key security capability that we think is important. Mm. Uh, another security capability um, that we looked at also is a distributed intrusion detection mechanism that can optimally assign uh, security functions to the resource-constrained devices at the edge. So some some mechanism that augments that edge layer with additional security capabilities, whether it's an additional device that is not constrained in terms of its res- uh, storage and compute capabilities, or whether it's a gateway at the edge that is responsible for augmenting the security capabilities of the edge devices underneath. Are, are we starting to see the development of, of these sorts of standards with IoT devices, or, or is it still pretty much the Wild West out there? Uh, I think we're, we're starting to see that, and NIST has a uh, working group that's working on a cybersecurity framework, and they've published several drafts of their, of their framework. All right. Malik Ben-Salem, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.
And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.